Revelation 2, if you have your Bible, you can turn over to Revelation 2. Um, you guys are the ones who couldn't make it to first service um, because you were surprised that we lost an hour, right? You were like, oh my gosh, it happened again, right? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. If we all call our congressman at the same time, maybe we can switch this thing to where we jump forward at 4 p.m. on Friday. That'd be exciting, right? Jump forward, off work. We fall back 7 a.m. Monday. <laughs> Write it down. Let's do it, all right? We can start a movement right here. I'm just kidding. Uh, thanks for coming today. If you're watching online, uh, we are glad you're watching online. But if you're not sick and you're not out of the area, you're just tired because of that hour, we still have that 1115 service. We hope we'll see you then. Revelation chapter 2. Hey, don't you just hate when the weather's not perfect for church? Just makes you mad. Like if it snows, that's too hard. If it's pretty cold, I'm not coming. But if it's like really nice outside, I'm not coming either, right? I got stuff to do. I want to get outside, whatever, rake the leaves or mow or go to the park during church. So I, you know, it's, what I need really is Goldilocks, Goldilocks weather, right? Not too hot, not too cold. That's what, that's what I'm looking at for church. And well, what about like, what about when the sound is too loud during worship? Don't you hate that? Yeah. Makes me want to just go back to the sound guy, give him a piece of my mind. If he doesn't change it, next week, I'm out. I'm out. Because I want Goldilocks sound, man. Not too loud, not too soft, just right. What about how the church is always trying to get us to sit closer to the front? Doesn't that make you mad? I mean, they got these ropes and stuff to try to help us be closer up here so we're more together, more like a family. And for visitors and, and latecomers to find a seat if we're full, those jerks. <laughs> don't you just hate that? Like, I want, I want Goldilocks seating. I want just right. I mean, I don't want to be sitting up here. I want to be sitting in the middle somewhere. I don't have to sit at the end, but at the back, but I don't want to sit at the front. Or what about when the service goes past 75 minutes? Don't you hate that? Like, I like 65, right? 70 is all right. 75 is pushing it. When we get to that 60 or 76th minute, I'm out. I'm out. I want Goldilocks time length. Not too long, not too short, just right. Or what about when the leadership of your church does something differently than you would have done it in a different way than you would have done it. Doesn't that make you mad? It's like, don't, don't you hate that? It's like, man, I want strong leadership, but not that strong. I want to be led, but not like that. I want vision, but not too strong of vision. Goldilocks leadership, or I'm out. Or what about this one? Don't you just hate when the pastor talks about something you don't want him to talk about on Sunday? Man. It's like, preach the Bible, pastor, but not that part. Hold that out, right? Preach about sin, but not my sin. Don't preach too directly. Like, I want it to be truth, but, but not that much truth. Goldilocks preaching and teaching, or I'm out. I'll be honest with you right out of the gate today. The message I have to deliver um, is not easy to hear. I don't know if it's going to, like, make you feel good about yourself. I'm not sure if today you're going to leave going, yeah, I love great hugs. 
I'm not sure that's where you, what I'm saying is that like a message like today's, it's probably going to create some empty parking spots for next week. It probably is. And if you're, if you're a visitor here today, I am so glad you're here today specifically because you can, on your first Sunday, you can just decide, like, is this the church for me or not? Like, is this where I'm at or not? Is this where I should be or, or, or not? You can see right out of the gate your first visit that I, as the lead pastor here, my name is Pastor Jake, by the way, nice to meet you, but I, as the lead pastor here, don't think it's my job to make you feel good about yourself. I don't count it in my job description to pat you on the back every week and go, you're doing great. It's not my job to to make Jesus, this whole Jesus thing, more palatable for you. To make him easier to accept. It's just not my job. In fact, I think my main job is to teach and preach the word of God as it is. In the scriptures. No, No compromise, no No softening, just as it is. And there is a lot in the word of God that is bad news. I mean, there's some good news. So, like, really, really good news, the best news in here. But there's also some bad news, too. Wow, what an awesome way to start a sermon, right? I mean, you guys are like, I can't wait to to hear what he has to say. This is going to be great. This is a great way to start a sermon. I just, I just don't have a lot of jokes for you today. My heart is heavy because I'm not sure that you'll have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our church today, to the church at Great Oaks. But I've been praying, I've been praying hard that you would that you would have ears to hear. We're in a series called Dear Church where we're looking at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. These are letters from Jesus to specific churches around 95 AD in modern-day Turkey. And so Jesus visited the apostle John in a vision while he was exiled in prison on an island called Patmos. And in this vision that Jesus gave the apostle John, he told him to write it down and pass it out and, and let it be circulated. And that vision is what we call the book of Revelation. And so we're studying these seven letters. And our hope in this series is that we as the church at Great Oaks would be able to learn from some of the first churches ever to exist some things they did well, some things they struggled in, some warnings that Jesus gives them. And so that's our hope in this. And so last week we looked at the first letter. It was to uh, the church at Ephesus. This week's letter is to Smyrna. So imagine that you got a letter. You you get a letter. Everyone loves getting letters these days because we rarely take the time to write them. We usually send a text or a message or worse, we post on Facebook timelines, but imagine you get an actual letter written to you, but it's not just any letter, it's from Jesus himself. Like I said last week, that could be good or it could be bad, right? Let's be honest. Depends on how you're living your life. You may not want a letter from Jesus today. I'm just throwing it out there. You may not want a letter from Jesus 
today. It's like being called into the principal's office. It could go good or it could be really, really bad. So the church in Smyrna around 95 AD, they, they get this letter from Jesus. So their pastors and elders, they gather the church up. They go, we got a letter and it's from Jesus. And they read it to the church. And although they were the first recipients, they weren't the last Because this letter, by the sovereignty and the power of God, was preserved for 2,000 years against all odds. And it got to us today in Revelation chapter 2. This letter's not just for Smyrna, or the church at Smyrna. It's for the church at Great Oaks. And I, I think that because in each of these seven letters, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So seven times he says that. What he's saying is that this is for anyone who will take the time to listen. Anyone humble enough to take Jesus' correction and wise enough to heed his warning. It's, it's, it could be for us if we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says. But this letter to Smyrna specifically, it's, it's special because All but two of these seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3 have criticism against the church. And so Jesus tells them some things that they're not doing well, some things that they need to change, that he wants them to change. But not Smyrna. Only praise for Smyrna. No criticism, no bad thing, only good. But but before we get into the letter itself, let me tell you a little bit about Smyrna. At the time, it was considered a very beautiful city. It was a good place to live. It it was constantly fighting for the title of first in Asia, usually fighting against the city of Ephesus, but almost always winning. And so it was this beautiful city that its people loved to live in. And it was big, it was a trade city, and it was fiercely loyal to the Roman Empire. Like before the Roman Empire was the undisputed empire of the world, Smyrna was in. Smyrna was loyal. Smyrna was the first city in Asia to erect a a statue of the emperor to worship. So they were totally in with the Roman Empire. Another thing you should know about Smyrna is that um, it had died before. The city was ransacked. It had died no more living there uh, in 600 B.C. Then 400 years after it died, it was resurrected. It was rebuilt. And now it's this this great city, and its people took that as a, as a point of pride. They, they thought, you know, we're a city that's been resurrected. We're a city that's made it through death, and we're still living. One more thing about it, the games, kind of like the Olympic games, but add like a lot of blood and fighting. Um, the games were huge in Smyrna, big coliseum, big crowds. They were, they were huge in, in Smyrna, vicious competition. So if you were an average resident of Smyrna around this time, this is what you would say about your city. If somebody was asking you, like, why do you live in Smyrna? Or I'm thinking about moving. Should I move to Smyrna? You'd say, man, my city, Smyrna, it's it's first. It's it's the most beautiful. My city, Smyrna, it's, it's resilient. It died and it resurrected. I mean, that's how resilient my city is. In my city, Smyrna, it's, it's safe and it's important. It's one of Rome's oldest and strongest allies. My city, Smyrna, I mean, you should come live here. It's fun. Always something going on at the Colosseum. Always some competition or performance happening. So this was the, the common or the secular view 
of Smyrna at that time. So let's read Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna and see if it matches what, see if, see if this idea of Smyrna matches what they're experiencing, the Christians there. Revelation 2, starting in verse 8. I'll stop as we go through this. I'm going to explain some things. We'll go through it once, and then I'll read it to you in its entirety altogether after we explain some things. Verse 8 says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Right. Remember from last week, if you missed it last week, make sure you get that podcast or get it online. Uh, but angel means messenger, and so we don't know if this is an actual angel in heaven or a human leader of the church, the messenger of God. It says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So each of these seven letters has, begins with this description of the risen Christ. And this one says, first and last, he's the first and last and he died and came to life. So the city of Smyrna thinks they're first. And they fancy themselves a city resurrected. And so right off the bat, Jesus goes, I'm first and I'm last. You guys think you're first. That's great. You're not. I'm first and I'm also last. Beginning and the end both. You guys call yourself a city resurrected. That's cute. Because I actually resurrected from, the li- from, from death. I actually defeated death and hell. Like, you kind of did, but I really did. I actually did it. It's like Jesus is just setting the stage here. He's going, Smyrna, you may think much of yourself, but I'm more. You may think you're great, but I'm greater. You may think you're important, but I'm more important. I think you'll see why he starts this way as we read the the rest of the letter. In verse 9, it says, I know your tribulation... And your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Okay, so it's, it's not going well for the church in Smyrna. Um, does it sound like they're feeling the whole first in Asia thing? Sound like they're feeling the whole safe city, fun city thing? No, they're poor and they're in trouble. There's this real conspiracy against them because they have faith in Jesus. They can't find jobs. They can't get loans. They can't go to certain stores. That People are actually coming against them, against their faith in Jesus. There's this large population of Jews in Smyrna who, like Saul before he became the Apostle Paul, have made it their life's goal to snuff this Jesus movement out as quickly as possible. All because of their faith in Jesus, they are persecuted, reviled, killed, bullied, and intimidated. It's very difficult to be a Christ follower in Smyrna at this time. And yet, Jesus says that they're what? They're they're rich, right? How could that be? How could they be poor and rich at the same time? We'll talk about that in a moment. Look at The first of the next verse, verse 10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. So it's going bad in Smyrna and it's going to get worse, right? It's going bad in Smyrna and and Jesus sent him a letter and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison 
that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let me unpack some of this for you, a few things to touch base on so we understand it. It says the, the devil is going to throw you in prison. The devil was throwing people in prison for following Jesus. Not the government, not the guards, not the Jews, but the devil was throwing people into prison. The devil was at work in Smyrna, working against the plan, will, and purpose of God, actively working against it. The devil is actively working against the plan, purpose, and will of God in Germantown Hills. Just like in Smyrna, in Metamora, just like in Smyrna, in Washington, in the Peoria area, in our nation and in our world, the devil is working. Are you? I mean, the devil's got a plan. Do you? The devil's using people to thwart the plans of God, to to spread darkness instead of light, much like God uses people to spread light. He's using people to maintain the darkness. So which one are you? Which one are you being used by? It's just, just something to think about. The devil was throwing them into prison. It says prison, and you may think, oh, well, that's not too bad. At least they're not getting killed. Like prison, you know, three meals a day, you get to watch ESPN, you get to lift weights. It's no big deal, right? Prison, not a big deal. That's not what prison was like at this time. Uh, Prison wasn't a long-term holding facility at this time. Prison, you went to prison for one reason, and that was to await execution. And so they, they were being killed. They were just waiting in prison to be Killed, And then it says they're going to be tested, and for 10 days, they'll have persecution. You shouldn't read that, or tribulation, I should say. You shouldn't read that as an actual, a literal 10 days. It was a phrase that meant that it wasn't going to last forever. It's like us saying there's light at the end of the tunnel. We don't mean there's literal light at the end of the tunnel. We mean that it's going to end. This thing is going to end. So Jesus is saying you're going to suffer. It's going to be bad, but there will be an end. In other words, you will not suffer for eternity there's going to be an end and then he says that if they're faithful unto death he'll give them the crown of life another tie into Smyrna remember they love the games and and people who won athletes who won the games fighters who won the games they would get a crown of sorts and so Jesus is going your city's all about this crown winning this crown he's going I got a better crown I got a better crown than what, what your athletes and your, your fighters, they, they beat their bodies into submission. They, they don't eat what they want to eat. They, they're all about this crown. They train and train and train to win this crown. He's going, I've got a better crown waiting for you. If you remain faithful, faithful unto what? Death. Faithful unto death. Look at verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I've been praying that you today would hear what the Spirit says to us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will, will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 
death. And so later in the book of Revelation, the apostle John tells us what the second death is. Just a few pages over, one of the last pages of scripture in your Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, just to be clear on that, there's an attack against what this idea of being sexually immoral means in the Bible, in our culture today. I just want to clear it up for you. Taking the breadth of scripture, sexually immoral is very, very clear. It means that it's, it's acts of sexual, any kind of sexual act outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And so that's being sexually immoral. Let me get back there. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. For murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the what? Second death. The, the second death. So Jesus goes to Smyrna. The, the devil is real, and he's at work in your city. And hey, so is hell. Hell is real too. You won't experience the second eternal death if you'll stay faithful unto death. You won't experience that second death because I'll give you life. You won't have to go through the second death that is reserved for those who would not choose me, who would not choose Jesus, who, who choose self, sin, Satan, comfort, ease, preference over purpose, method over mission, riches over revelation. So that's the letter. It's short. So now that you know all of that background as we unpacked it verse by verse, let me just read this letter to you in its entirety. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So three takeaways with our time left. Three Three takeaways, three things for you to write down, think about, talk with your family about, discuss with your life group. So first of all, Christ followers are supposed to expect suffering. Christ followers should expect suffering. So this, this idea that following Jesus will fix all of your problems and make all of your problems go away is just not true in scripture it's not found in the scripture and, and in the Mer american church we are really really bad at expecting suffering aren't we i mean we're really really bad at this whole idea of of suffering I mean, even in the way that we, we spread the gospel, even in the way that we offer people the gospel, it, it's, it's weird. We'll say things like, hey, if, are, do you need direction? Come to Jesus. He'll give you direction. Do, do you need healing? Come to Jesus. He'll give you healing. Do you need peace? Well, come to Jesus. He'll give you peace. Is your family messed up? Come to Jesus. God, Jesus will fix your family. None, none of those 
statements are necessarily wrong or outright false, but they can be misleading in a vacuum separate from a biblical idea and understanding of suffering. I mean, let's be honest. We wish this letter in Smyrna ended differently, don't we? I mean, if we were writing it, we would have written it differently. If we were Jesus, this letter in Smyrna would have ended differently. Because Jesus said, be faithful unto death. In other words, you're suffering, you're going to suffer, and it's going to end in death. He writes a letter to Smyrna and he goes, I'm not making this any better. I'm not going to make this better. I'm not going to fix this for you in this life. Think about if you're the believer in Smyrna. Things are really bad. It's illegal to be a Christ follower. You can't get a job. You're poor. You're having trouble putting food on the table for your family. But you get a letter from Jesus. And you're thinking, yes, this is going to be awesome. Jesus is going to say that things are going to turn around. But instead of saying that, instead of saying that maybe you don't have to go be arrested, tortured, and murdered like your friends were, that maybe you won't have to be poor the rest of your life. Instead of saying that, he says the suffering and the tribulation and the trials are actually going to get worse for you. And that you should be faithful anyways. All the way to death. Make you want to be a Christian? That get you fired up? Like, let's give God a hand clap of praise. Make you go out of here going, man, I'm coming back next week to the illegal gathering of Christ followers that might get me killed. That's going to be great. Does this make you want to be a Christian? I mean, we know from history that stuff just doesn't get better for the church at Smyrna. Because 50 years later, after this letter, there's this guy named Polycarp who studied under the apostle John and became the leader of the, the bishop, the elder of the churches in the area, 50 years after this letter. And, and he gets called in the, into the Colosseum in Smyrna and there's this huge crowd, and the games are going on, and, and they want blood, and he, he gets called in, and they can't find him, and so they torture one of his followers, one of his brothers in Christ, until he tells them his whereabouts, and then they find Polycarp, and they drag him into the Colosseum, and they say, you have to renounce Christ and give an offering to Caesar, or we're going to kill you. You're going to die right here and right now. The crowd is roaring, and here's what Polycarp said, he said, 80 and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That happened in Smyrna 50 years after this letter was sent. And it's still happening today. There's a there's a group called Open Doors that tries to track and report Christian persecution in our world right now. And you know what country was just highlighted just not too long ago by this Open Doors organization? Because this country keeps moving up this list, farther and farther towards the top of this list of the worst countries for Christ followers to live in because the persecution is so bad. You know what country that is? Turkey. 
Turkey, that, that's where Smyrna is. It's got a different name, but it's the same city. It's in modern-day Turkey. This didn't get any better. We should expect suffering. Jesus said we would suffer. The Bible is full of people who did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and it just went bad. They were killed. They were thrown in prison. They got sick. Their families were beaten. Their families were killed. It just went bad for them. That's what they got for their faithfulness. It's all over the Bible. John the Baptist, Jesus said that there hasn't been a better man than John the Baptist. He was faithful to the end. He was beheaded in prison for his faithfulness. Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land after his faithfulness to God. David wasn't allowed to build the temple. God said, no, you got too much blood on your hands. David's probably like, it's the blood you told me to put on my hands. But he didn't get to build the temple. The prophet Jeremiah, every time he opened his mouth and said what God wanted him to say, went where God wanted him to go, delivered the message God had told him to deliver, every single time he was thrown in the stocks, beaten, spit on, laughed at. Mary had to watch her son tortured, nailed to a cross, and stabbed. The Apostle Paul was thrown into prison, shipwrecked, beaten numerous times for his faithfulness. I mean, best we can tell, 11 out of 12 apostles were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ because they lived their faith loud enough to get notice from people who didn't want that to happen, and they were murdered for it. We should expect suffering. And maybe you're going, yeah, but, but isn't God supposed to bless me too, though? I mean, isn't, aren't we supposed to bless, expect blessing in our lives? I mean, maybe you're going like, man, what about the prayer of Jabez? It's on my wall. I say it all the time. Expand my territory. Give me everything I want. I want to live an easy, cush life, safe and secure. What about that? Isn't God supposed to bless us, though? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Brings me to my next takeaway. Jesus, in this letter, had nothing but praise for the church at Smyrna. No correction or criticism. And yet they were in the midst of suffering that was not going to end until many of them died. You see... We've got a false understanding of blessing. We think it means an easy life. We think it means stuff, money, career, safety, security. So to us, blessing and suffering cannot coexist. But listen, beloved, blessing is not the absence of suffering. Blessing is faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Because Jesus said that the believers in Smyrna were rich, but they weren't rich. They were poor. They were persecuted, reviled, bullied. 
unable to put food on the table for their family. They weren't rich. They were destitute, barely getting by. It's because blessing is not the absence of suffering. Far from it. And that's why Polycarp prayed this incredible prayer right before they, they were going to kill him. He knew he was going to die, and he prayed this prayer. He said, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to sip from the cup that my Lord sipped from. In other words, thank you for letting me die for you. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. Thank you for letting me die for you. Blessing is faithfulness in the midst of suffering. And that's why James wrote this in James chapter 1. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. But how can that be true? How can suffering, trials, tribulation be a blessing, an honor, a joy? That brings me to my final takeaway for you to write down and think about and talk with your family and your life group about this week. The key to understanding suffering and blessing is to keep an eternal perspective. And this whole thing is about eternity. It's about perspective. Let, let, let me explain a bit. Jesus said in his letter that he is the first. He said he's the first, but he said, I'm not only the first, I'm the first and the what? Last. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. Why would he say that to the church in Smyrna? He was saying, what you're going through, what you're experiencing is tough. It's difficult. You're in the midst of real suffering, trials, tribulation, persecution. But don't forget, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm eternal. He's going, I don't just start stuff. I finish it. I, I finish things as well. And then he said, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He's going, if you hear what I'm saying and you suffer well, if you suffer well, if you keep an eternal perspective, you won't have to experience the second death. You'll have life eternal. What's he saying? He's saying that this life is not all that there is. That there's more than just this world, this life, the here and the now. He's saying the worst they can do is kill you. The worst they can do is kill you. He's going, if, you, if they kill you and you remain, remain faithful, don't worry about it. Because then you'll be with me in eternity and you'll skip over the second death. What's he saying? He's saying, the first death isn't the one you should be thinking about. It's the second one that matters. Live your life thinking about not this life, but the next life. That's the key, listen, beloved, if your perspective is just this life, this world, this 80 years, here and now, then you will never suffer well. You will rail against God when you don't get what you want. You will run from him when things get difficult. You will not remain faithful because in the midst of suffering, for Christ's namesake, you would go, what's the point? 
It's all the same. It's just this life anyways. What's the point? There's nothing after I die, so why would I remain steadfast? If you think this is all there is, you'll never be able to accept suffering as blessing and trials as joy. The key to understanding suffering and blessing is to keep an eternal perspective. Back to our friend Polycarp one more time. He got this because after they tortured and, and killed his friend to find out where he was, and they pulled him into the Colosseum, and they said, if you don't renounce Christ and give an offering, a sacrifice to the emperor, to Rome, then we're going to kill you. After all that, they, they say, okay, here's, let's threaten him with the worst kind of death. And they go, we're going to burn you alive if you don't do this. And here's what Polycarp said. He said, you threaten me with the fire that burns for a time, And is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come. Do what you will. He got it. The fire that you're talking about is nothing compared to hell. He's going, you don't get it. You, you don't get it. You can burn me in this life all you want. We're talking about eternal punishment in hell. Why would I give up on my Lord and my Savior, the one who saved me from the second death? The first death is nothing compared to the second death, Polycarp is saying. You don't get it. He's going, bring it on. Bring it on because this fire is nothing compared to the other kind of fire that awaits those who would renounce Christ. And this kind of persecution, it's, it's going on right now. People are, people are dying for their faith in Christ all over our world. They're being murdered in the streets, even if they're not being murdered on your street. Thousands every year. I don't think we even understand this, do we? I don't even get it. Blessing, suffering, persecution, faithfulness. I'm not sure we even get it. I mean, if we got a letter from Jesus and it said what the letter to Smyrna said, we'd check the address, right? We'd be looking to say, this went to the wrong church. We don't even know what this is talking about. We are lost. We don't know what this is talking about at all. And when we read the letter, many of us would say, that's not from Jesus. When we read the letter and it said that suffering would continue and would probably end in us getting killed for our faith, many of us would go, that's not from Jesus. No, Jesus loves me. He wants the best for me. He wants safety for my kids, health for my family. He wants prosperity for me. No, that letter, that's a forgery. That's not from Jesus. Many of us would question its authenticity because the Jesus we serve, not the Jesus of the Bible, but the Jesus we serve is like a genie in a bottle or in a lamp, whatever. It's like a genie who grants wishes A fairy godmother who goes, I want you to just be happy. 
we'd look at this letter like it was a forgery because that's the Jesus we have in our heads. And it's not the Jesus of the Bible. A lot of times when I preach, I present attention and I try to help you feel the tension. And then using the scriptures, I help you solve that tension. Not today. Not today. This tension is real, but I can't help you solve it. Maybe a next step for you is to just ask yourself, your family, your life group, is our faith real? I mean, is, how real is our faith? I mean, if we were to face persecution like the church in Smyrna, would we remain faithful? Like, like Christ followers all over the world are facing right now, would we be faithful? And maybe the question is, is this Jesus stuff, this Bible stuff, this church stuff, this eternity stuff, is it, is it real? Or is church just a kind of a weekend hobby? Something we come to to make ourselves feel good because we want to be a better person. Something we bring our kids to so they can be around other good kids. How real is our faith? <laughs> Don't you just hate when the weather's not perfect for church? Or when the sound during worship is too loud? When they make you sit closer to the front? When the leadership of the church does things differently than you would do? Don't you just hate when your pastor talks about something you don't want him to talk about? Me too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is always true, is always timeless and timely, that it meets us right where we are. Oh, I pray as always, God, that whatever was of me would be quickly forgotten, but what is of you would be remembered, that it would be like a seed that finds good soil in our hearts and in our lives that would bear fruit, action, God, my heart is heavy because I don't, I don't know that we can get this. And I just think of brothers and sisters across our world who, they don't have a choice. They have to get this. And the things we complain about, the things that are obstacles to us, I'm ashamed. So my prayer is that this wouldn't just be a sermon that we, a message, a, a Bible study that we just leave and, and we're the same and we just kind of leave it here. But somehow that this would follow us. That we would be thinking about it, praying about it, discussing it. 
Holy Spirit, that it would transform us. God, you know my heart that I love having a lot of people at church, but that's not my goal. I don't care if we have a thousand people at Great Oaks if nobody has real faith, nobody is steadfast, nobody perseveres. And so I pray that like Smyrna, we at Great Oaks would become known for a faith that is real, for a faith that transcends weekend attendance, for a faith that goes beyond just trying to be a good person. I don't know how we're going to do that. So we need your help. Your help, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May you expect suffering. May God find you faithful in the midst of suffering and give you the crown of life. And may your faith be tested, strong, real, steadfast. As always, my encouragement to you is to talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. My challenge to you is to not let this stop with you if you've been helped to take your next step towards God. So go out and help others take their next steps towards God. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. And let me remind you that Sunday is the first day of the week, not the last. And so when we gather together on Sunday, this isn't the end of the week. This is the beginning. When you leave this place, you are now sent to a dark world desperate for the light of Jesus Christ. If you don't know that, pray that it becomes real to you because that's your reality. Sunday's the first day, not the last. God bless. We'll see you next week.